They say a picture is worth a thousand words. And I agree with that. Think about yourself and think about how you best remember things. Somebody tell you something. I was, went to uh, some of our Sunday school classes this morning. I'll be to all of your Sunday school classes in the next five weeks. Uh, but I went to uh, one of our Sunday school classes this morning and mentioned the fact that um, you can tell me something and I'll remember it about that long. If you have an idea for a sermon, I'd love to hear it. Do you have questions about things that you'd like to hear addressed in a sermon? I'd love to hear it. Do not walk up to me and tell it to me. Because I'm telling you, the minute I turn away from you and turn over to you, it's gone. If you want me to remember it, you've got to write it down. You've got to send it to me in email. Tattoo it on my forehead. Whatever you've got to do. But telling it to me isn't going to work. That's why when I preach, I try to preach in ways to paint pictures in your mind so that maybe the pictures will go along with you later so that you can remember squirrels with bad tails on them and things like that, you know? Or as somebody said this morning, football weather. You know, we, we get those pictures, we can remember those things. Picture, this happened to me probably 30 years ago. Uh, didn't count up the exact date, but it's about 30 years ago. That uh, know what happened. This young man uh, had worked all day long. And he and his wife had this deal that one day he picks up the kids from daycare and one day she, she picks up the kids from daycare and they alternate back and forth and it was his day to pick up the children from daycare. So he went to the daycare, he um, got his kids, small children, strapped them into the back seat into their child seat. He got in the front seat, strapped himself in and off they go down the road. You know where the story's going already. So it's, he lives out in rural Washington County, and on the road that he lived on to get home is a huge, long straightaway. I mean, it's a long, long, long straightaway, and at the very end of the straightaway, there's a little turn that goes to the right. And so there's a four-way stop right as that starts, which is the perfect place for people to race. That's where the guys went to race all the time, and he pulls up to the stoplight right as a friend of his pulls out from behind him and pulls up beside him and gooses the engine. Let's race. So, end of the day, he's feeling pretty good and he takes off. He hits the gas, his friend hits the gas. The bad thing about the race was the fact that the cars were equally matched. Nobody had the most powerful vehicle of the two. They were pretty close together. The guy with the children's car, though had just a little bit more muscle than the other guy, so he slowly but surely passes him. But now this is a long straightaway, but it's not an eternal straightaway. And he calculates in his mind that if he'll hang on to it just a little bit longer, he'll be able to pass the guy, purely beating him, and have enough time to slam on brakes and make it around the curve. He miscalculated. He didn't have enough time to put on the brakes to stop and go around that curve safely the car left the road it hit a culvert it caught the culvert right between the front and back seats tore the back seats off and threw them this way tore the front half of the vehicle and threw it that way his kids died on impact he was in the uh, intensive care unit for a long 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 time and I suspect him realizing that his children died as a result of his Childishness probably debilitates him today, I would suspect. He never thought about that. 
Nobody thought about that. They woke up that morning. It's just a normal, average, everyday day. We've got to get the kids up. We've got to get them to daycare. We've got to go to work. Got to get our stuff done. We'll go home at the end of the day. Bring the kids home. We'll get supper. It was just a day, just like any other day. It's middle Georgia. They go outside first thing in the morning. It's hot. That's what happens in the summertime in, in middle Georgia. Nobody ever considered that that day would end differently than any other day. It was just another day. They cleaned up the wreckage, and I was a bivocational pastor at the time. I was at Bulerma in Hancock County, and I worked for the Washington County Road Department. And so they brought the wreckage because when there's a fatality wreck, you know, they have to do additional uh, investigation on that, and they brought both halves of the car and dropped it in our lot so that the investigators could come and look at it, and I went out and took a look at it. And as I'm standing there looking at the two pieces of the vehicle and looking where the children were sitting in the back seat, I just kept going over and over in my mind, they never dreamed their life would do this. They just never dreamed it. They never, they never had a clue that this could ever happen. We take our lives so for granted that we're going to live forever. And, and the, the number two thing that people are afraid of, number one fear, is the fear of public speaking. Some of us have conquered that one. The number two fear is the fear of dying. And we don't talk about that one. We don't want to talk about it. We don't want to face it. We don't want to ever think about it until that moment comes along. We avoid thinking about the end of our lives. But it's a very important thing. It's a very important thing. When that moment comes, when the moment comes that you get to the end of your life, and you're reaching out to God with your hand, will he catch it or will he not? That's the question. When we reach the end of our lives, whether it's 102 years from now or whether it's this afternoon, when you reach out your hand to God as you pass from this life, is he going to grab that hand or is he not going to grab the hand? Now, preacher, you're preaching salvation to us. And there's only some of us in here that need to hear that. Let me help you understand that. When you start reading the materials about church surveys, and you start reading about what people believe in this country, 50% of the people in church, 50% of the people in church, maybe not in Jones County, 50% of the people in church do not believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. Let me help you understand something. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one goes to the Father but through me, is what he says. You can't believe anything else. Oprah has a little different belief, but I'm telling you what, Oprah's got an issue. 50% of the people believe that. If that's what you believe this morning, I'm speaking to you too. And if there's someone in your family who believes that, I'm speaking to you so you can help your family. Because you know what? It's not all about you. It's not all about me. We've got to know that we know that we know that we are trusting Jesus as our Savior. And that's what we're dealing with this morning. Heavy. And this scripture, man, We'll read it to you one more time. It's from Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31.
For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? For we know who, him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Oh, preacher, now you're out to scare us this morning. It's not my primary intent, but if you leave this morning uneasy, I will feel good about it. That's what I want to have happen. I want you to leave this morning not feeling the Joel, Joel Osteen warm and fuzzies. I want you to leave this morning feeling the Son of God touching you on the inside, either saying, yes, you are mine, or working on your insides making you think, I have got to consider Jesus. I've got to consider Jesus. Luke has Jesus saying in the gospel, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it or not. We don't dwell on that, that scripture very often, but what Jesus is saying in that scripture, he's got a whole bunch of people following him. And they're all behind him. And you know how it is when you're a, a sports hero, you know, like uh, some of the sports heroes we've got in our congregation here. You know what it's like to be a sports hero and you've got people all around you going, yeah, you're the man, you're the man. Yeah, we love you, we love you. We'll follow you, we're behind you all the way. And Jesus has got all these people following him and saying, we're going to be your disciple and we'll follow you as far as to the ends of the earth. We'll follow you to death, we'll follow you. And Jesus turns around and he looks at them and he says, do you have a clue what you're saying? Have you thought for a minute what it is that I would be asking you to do if you were my disciple. If you were going to follow me, have you thought about what that means? Have you thought about it? And then we read that, we get to Hebrews, to this scripture we read a second ago, and it has a very dark twist to it. Verse 26 has the word in it, deliberately. That's very critical to this passage deliberately. That means that we do what we do on purpose, that we mean to do it. It wasn't an accident. I chose to do it. We made a choice. We could not do it or we could do it and we decided which one of those we were going to do. We have the power of choice. We have, that is probably one of the most fundamental things we all need to understand because I just couldn't help myself. Liar. You had a choice. You had a choice. Now, when I sit down in front of that Boston cream pie and I hear it calling out my name and I can't resist that Boston cream pie, if I say I just couldn't resist it, that's a lie. I had a choice. I could eat it or I could not. We have a choice that God doesn't take away from us. We can follow him or we cannot. Verse 26 says, For if we go on sinning deliberately... The idea behind that is we have a choice to trust Christ Christ or not. 
Just because Jesus calls out to you doesn't mean that he's taken away your ability to choose. What's supposed to happen is over a period of time, Jesus calls you to salvation. You choose to trust him, and that's our part in it, is that we choose to trust him as our Savior, and then he moves in, he lives in us, and he starts making changes in us. He teaches us to hunger after him. He teaches us through study of the word, fellowship with other Christians. You learn, you're instructed, you're encouraged, you're admonished, and you grow, and you become more and more like Christ, and you realize that the answer to the answers of the problems of the earth are not the elections that come up next month or the elections that are going to come up in two years. The, problems is not, the problem is not President Obama. The problem is, is the people of the United States don't follow Jesus. That's the problem. And that's what he leads us to. That we understand that he is the power and that he is the one in us that makes the change in us. But what about those who choose not to follow? Now this scripture deals with it. In this scripture, some of you guys that are academics that, that, that dig into the theology, you're going to go, Randy, what are you going to do here? Because this scripture is a little dicey. It sort of has two ways that people look at it. And there are two definite camps of the way people look at this. One of the camp of the people look at it and read, for if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, they say that this is people who are saved. And yet, after they've been saved, they deliberately start sinning, deliberately choose to, follow, to not follow the things of Christ, and therefore they are apostates, they are in apostasy, they fall away from the grace, and they're not saved anymore. There's a camp that believes that. I don't believe that. That's not my deal, because I honestly believe, and not because I'm Baptist, but because I believe that's what Scripture teaches, that once Jesus saves me, I, can't, I cannot be his I cannot not be his kid anymore. You understand what I'm saying? That once I belong, once, once he is my daddy, he is always my daddy. And when I look at this scripture, what I see in here is the re- writer referring to somebody who has clearly presented the Holy, through the Holy Spirit the salvation of Christ, but they refuse to fully trust Christ for their salvation. They make a conscious, deliberate choice to not trust Christ for their salvation. One who has met Christ is still free to choose. He doesn't hold you down and handcuff you. You are still free to choose, but they refuse, listen, they refuse to fully trust Christ for their salvation. They make a a disconscious, deliberate choice to continue to live their lives, listen to these words because I'm using them deliberately, to continue living their lives the way they lived before they met Jesus. They may pick up his philosophy, but they don't pick up his salvation. They don't want to be changed on the inside. Many people meet Jesus and then continue in sin. They're unchanged, unrepentant. They are the same as they were the day, the hour, the minute that they first met Jesus. And that happens with church members. We meet Christ, we profess his name, we get baptized, but if there is no change in us, if we willfully, deliberately continue in sin, then there is nothing, you are nothing more than a church member. You are a cultural Christian. 
this is an out there example. But have you ever watched any of the mafia movies? The Godfather? Yeah. And these guys say grace. And they go to church. And they give money to the church. And then they go kill people. Help me understand. Are they Christian? Are they following after? Well, now I can't definitively say they're not, but I can look at their fruits and I can say, you know what? They deliberately go on sinning. Jesus would not go out and kill anybody. And yet they do. Now, that's an extreme example. What about us? Let's bring it home to where we are. He reaches out to us with the moment that we get to eternity. We reach out to God. I've joined the church. I've been baptized. I've served on committees. I've been a deacon. And I reach out for his hand and he misses. Because he didn't reach back. Jesus said, this is in the scripture. This is not Randy's idea. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. That's Matthew chapter 7 verse 21 if you want to double check me. I hear Jesus say this and it scares me. It scares me that people that I know, people that I love, who go happily along totally oblivious, fully cultural Christians who will die having chosen to not trust in Christ for salvation. This scares me, and I've mentioned this before, this scares me for one of our country's leaders who says that he follows Christ, but when he steps into his political office, he puts his belief aside so he can rule for all the people. If Jesus changed his heart and is living inside him, he can't put his faith aside. He is his faith because I am dead and Christ lives in me. He can't do it any other way. He is, yes, he's going to say it, a liar. He can't do it. We can't separate who we are if we are a Christian because I am dead. It is Christ who lives in me. There are those in the church and in every church who profess to be changed and yet go on continually, deliberately, willfully sinning. They look, their lives look the same as they did before they made their profession of faith. There's no change whatsoever. There is no hunger to know about God. There's no hunger to be like Jesus. There is no hunger to rely more on the Holy Spirit. But they're on a roll. They came down, we wrote their name down. We amened them in, we dunked them in a booth. When they dunked in the booth, everybody clapped. They said a little pious hallelujah under their voice as they walked out. And then they never changed one iota. There's something wrong if that was you. The author looks back to the time of Moses in Deuteronomy. He's in chapter 17, says in that passage... Moses quotes God saying, If there is found in your midst a man or a woman who does what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God by transgressing his covenant and has gone and served other gods and worshipped them, 
And if it is told you and you have heard of it, then you shall inquire thoroughly. You need to know because here comes the end. Behold, if it is true and the thing is certain that this detestable thing has been done in Israel, you shall bring out that man or that woman who has done the evil deeds to your gates. You shall stone them to death on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses. He who is to die shall be put to death. Man, that's hard. Thank goodness it's Old Testament, right? And then we read the New Testament. In the Old Testament, I can think of these people being pulled outside the gates that have done things that God says not to do. And they're all going, look, I'm a Jew just like you. I'm a Jew just like you. But how many Jews are Jews because they were born a Jew? And how many Christians are Christians because mom and dad were? And we just went to church with them. And we just sort of did what mom and dad did. If they flaunted God's law in the Old Testament, they were liable for God's punishment no matter what they called themselves. So, according to the scripture, should the person who met Christ said the words, dance the dance, but has lived their life like the devil, should they expect a merciful judgment? No, keep in mind the word is deliberate. That after you are saved, no, take that back. After you have met Christ, that you deliberately, continually sin. Because all of us, after we have met Christ, still do our thing. Remember we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, saying that every now and then that old person peeks its head out and causes me to do something that I didn't want to do. That's going to happen. He's not talking about that. He's talking about we accept the philosophy, but there is no change in our heart. There is no change in us. The writer of the Hebrews says, how much worse punishment do you think will be served by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God, has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of, of grace. How much worse punishment do you how much how much worse punishment does he say? Do you understand what he's saying here? That if you've met Christ, if you've seen the knowledge of the truth, but you willfully did continually deliberately reject it then you're right in there with the ones that crucified Christ he is of no account to you he makes no difference in your life and that's the key does Christ make a difference in your life if he makes no difference in your life you speak your name speak his name like your friends you talk about him in your day-to-day -day life you shake hands and call people brother you do all that stuff you live as though you never met him though he says you trampled underfoot the son of God you totally dissed him totally in my former life I've told y'all this a bunch of times because it was a big big part of what I did we put together these big events and y'all all understand I mean y'all understand that's why well, that's why we have weddings that cost as much as a car because somebody had a wedding <laughs> not everybody's right I got it Michael we started out, those of us are conscious that way, we started out and we saw our friend have a wedding that had this ice punch bowl. That's sort of cool. I like that ice punch bowl. But now I can't have an ice punch bowl at my wedding because that's copying theirs. So at my wedding, we're going to have the ice punch bowl and we're going to have this little swan ice thing, you know, that the, the, it's got a hole in the middle and the punch comes out of the mouth of the swan. 
And then you go to that wedding and say, whoo, that was cool, I like that. But I can't just have the ice punch bowl now and the little swan that's got the ice. Now I'm going to have, I'm going to have, I'm going to have iced shrimp on mine. And I don't mean those little diddly wops. I mean those shrimp that look like, you know, they could walk out and greet you, that kind of shrimp. And you see where I'm going. The wedding gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And now we've got this huge, now we're spending $25,000, $30,000 for the wedding because we started out with this one little thing. Well, that's the way we think. And then this thing that I was doing with, with this company, when we have one event, the next, next event had to be just a little bit better. And the next event had to be a little bit better. And it was my job to make sure that each event was just a little bit better. And the way these events work is at the end of them, the executive, uh, the executive president, the big dog daddy, would always host these things. And, and she would come up and she would thank the people who put this thing together. She'd thank the vendors and then she would thank my boss, who was the director. I did the work, she got the glory, but that's okay. As long as she's getting glory, she's happy, and Randy can have a happy life. Every now and then, the executive vice president, I mean executive president, would call out my name. And then I am somebody, hey, this is really cool. Well, in this one particular event we had, we just had another one of those little reorganizations, which is a fancy way of saying, for all of you in corporate world, you know, a reorganization is a fancy way of saying we laid a bunch of people off. And so we had a reorganization, and we had a new person joined our organization, not my group but the organization. And this person was the most politically savvy person that I have ever seen in my entire life. And she got the executive president's ear, and at the end of that event, she stood up and thanked her. And I'm sitting here thinking, she didn't have nothing to do with this. The only time she had anything to do with this is when she would call me up and ask me a few questions and because of her level, I had to answer her and then she'd take it back. She didn't do nothing. I felt trampled on. I was totally dissed that day. She got the credit. I'm the one that got you fed. I'm the one that made sure you were protected. I'm the one that sent you home with these thousands of dollars of gifts. And you thank her? See what you get next time. That's what went through my head. We know a little better than that. Next time it was a little bit better than the time before. That's the way it went. But if that's how I felt, trampled underfoot the Son of God, how, how does that work with God? And how much more does the Son of God do for us? And yet the end of it all, after he's done all of this stuff, we tell him, well, I walked the aisle, Jesus. I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? I've done all that stuff. I've done all of that stuff, Jesus. But then I went home and I was the same person I always was. And we look at Jesus and we say he's got grace and he does and everything he does for us is out of his grace. But grace is not equivalent equivalent to weakness. We believe that once we're dunked, we can go anywhere we want, do anything we want, say anything we want with no desire on our part to change, to have God change our lives. And yet he'll be quick to forgive. 
Once we stand up in front of the church and make a statement that we believe with no real thought about trusting Christ and what trusting Christ truly means, we think we can live like we want to, we can do whatever we want to, give a God a little quick, thank you, he puts on a colorful bandage over my boo-boo and off I go. But the scripture doesn't support that. We can claim once saved, always saved until the cows come home. But if you've met Christ and you were offered his salvation and you said no to it, you might have repeated the sinner's prayer. You might have been baptized. But in your life, you continually, willfully chose to sin with no conscience, no guilt, no shame, no change, no Christ moving in your heart. This scripture says you still live under the judgment of God and that is terrifying. It's terrifying. And that's why verse 31 hurts us to the core. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Oh, Jesus is just going to wrap his arms around me, love me? And then I read this book that says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. When we haven't trusted Christ, it is a fearful thing. Now, Randy, why in the world are you preaching this sermon? I wanted something to build me up this morning. I'm visiting for the first time. I've got friends that have come this morning, and you've preached this sermon. It's all about broccoli. Yeah, it's broccoli. Years ago, not too awfully many years ago, we went to the University of Georgia in January to University of Georgia's Jan Fest. You young people, probably some of you that are in a band understand Jan Fest. Some of you guys may have gone to Jan Fest before. In January, the University of Georgia brings band students all over from the state of Georgia, the University of Georgia. They teach them, they have classes, and then at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the, the Jan Fest week, or a couple of days, I forget how long it goes, they have, uh, they have concerts that day. And Anna was attending Jan Fest, uh, for that day, she played under a guy by the name of Mike, Michael Haithcock, who just happens to be a guy that she studies under now at the University of Michigan. He's a well-known top band director across the country. And he stands up and he's introducing the piece to the audience. And when he introduces the piece to the audience, he tells us that they, he picked this piece in order to challenge the musicians. That is a very positive way of saying, this piece of music is going to sound like chicken scratch and you are going to hate it. But I picked it out so that my musicians could hone their skills. And then he said the phrase. He said that this is like eating broccoli. He said every now and then you have to eat the thing you don't really enjoy in order to stay healthy and stay strong. Well, this sermon this morning is our broccoli. I don't preach this every Sunday, you know that. And I struggled, I mean, I struggled with, with whether I wanted to preach this or not. I get to choose too, you know. God can be leading me and I can say, well, maybe we could do it this way, Lord. They'd like that better. I lost. I've got to know that when you stand before Jesus, And you're going to. Whether you believe in him or not, 
He is the Almighty who was and is and is to come. And when you enter eternity, every one of us who will stand before him, whether you've trusted him as Savior or not, you're going to stand there. I've got to know that you know that you know that you know that you have heard the truth, that you have stopped and examined yourself, and you know through the ministry of the Holy Spirit whether you are saved or whether you are not. Got to know that. Got to know that you've been challenged to take a close look at what you trust in life. Do you trust Jesus? It makes a difference how we live. Do you trust Jesus for your salvation? Have you been changed by him? I hate surprises. I hate bad surprises. And I don't want you to have a surprise where you make it to eternity, you're standing before the Father, and his words to you are, get away from me, I never knew you. And if you read the scriptures, you will know that that is going to happen to some folks. Don't let it happen to you. Take a minute. I'm telling you, NFL, it's not everything. Turn the tube off for just a minute and think about, think about, your relationship with God and understand if you have a relationship with Christ or not. Take a minute. Stop. You take an hour nap, take a 50-minute one today. And for 10 minutes, sit there and think about is Jesus, is Jesus what my life is about? Do I trust him? Do I trust him. Because you have a choice. Nobody took it away from you. Either you will or you won't. But you can't blame it on me. And you can't blame it on your deacon and your Sunday school teacher and your wife, those unruly kids. You can't blame it on anybody. You stand before Jesus, there's just two of you. What's he going to say? Father, I pray for each person here today. I pray for each person here today, Father, that, that, that will stop for a minute. Make them stop, Father. Make them stop for just a minute and ask themselves, who is Jesus to me? Do I really trust Jesus? Father, I pray. I pray. I know that many, many, many people here are going to have the Holy Spirit minister to them and say, you are my child. I can't wait for you to get home. The day and the hour has been appointed. And I can't wait for them to be here. They get to see me face to face. But some, Father, are going to look and they're going to say, I don't think so. 
And Father, when they do that, help them to understand that's because your spirit is saying to them right now, follow me. Follow me. It's not as bad as you think. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I'll get you where you need to go. Help us, Father, to make those decisions. In Jesus' name, amen. To be a son of the living God, you have to meet him and you have to trust him.